This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. I'm thrilled today to have Dr. Daniel Pompa. He's a respected researcher, author, podcast host, and teacher. He specializes in root cause, inflammation-driven disease, the therapeutic application of the ketogenic diet, fasting, ancestral-based health approaches, cellular healing, and detoxification. Dr. Pompa speaks about removing the cause of toxicity and inflammation, going upstream, and following a multi-therapeutic approach to health and wellness. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you here with us this afternoon. Now, I always think our backstories are absolutely critical to the clinician that we become. Tell us a little bit about how you got into being a detox expert, being interested in intermittent fasting, and all the things that go along with being an educator. Yeah, didn't choose any of it. <laughs> it chose <laughs> you. <laughs> Through some hard stuff, I always say look for your purpose, you know, and your promise, you know, in your pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was my case. Uh, it was, you know, 1999, the end of 99, I, I started just, I, you know, I started getting some typical symptoms, I would say. Uh, all of a sudden, no energy. Never had that happen before. And I was in probably the best shape of my life. I was training for cycle racing. And, you know, just felt like, oh, I was probably overtraining, took time off, and wasn't getting better. If anything, it was getting worse. And then I started getting these headaches. Matter of fact, if I did any exertion at all, like ride even five miles when I could ride 100 on my bike, I would get a headache. And then it was insomnia. Then it became allergic to every food I was eating, you know, just intolerance to this, that, you know, and I, like most people, played that game, you know, it was mm-hmm. this, it's that, you know, bouncing around. Then I was chasing my adrenals, my thyroid, as my, my hair was thinning. I had every thyroid symptom, went and got blood work. Unfortunately, it was normal, you know, meaning <laughs> I wanted to find something, right? I remember literally, I was outside of insurance. I spent almost $5,000 in all these tests all of which came back normal. So then, of course, they look at you like, okay, it's all in your head. And, you know, I was, in fact, prescribed, well, I didn't take them, but prescribed psychotropic drugs, which simply meant, you know, okay, you're just going through some anxiety, depression. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, okay, I have all of those things, but, you know, I didn't, and now I do. And anyways, bottom line is everything I teach today came out of me figuring that out and finding the upstream causative factor, which, you know, there was one. I could have went the route that most people do, right, and just start medicating things away. You know, I tried addressing my adrenals and my thyroid, my hormones, all the which was downstream to an upstream bigger issue. So, you know, their gut had purpose in it because you know, now I'm blessed to teach doctors around the world what I learned in it and people alike. Absolutely. Well, and I find that as clinicians, it's usually when we go through our own healthcare crisis that that can be a powerful impetus for perhaps switching the trajectory of our careers or our interests. And so, you know, I think it makes us much more empathetic as individuals. I know that, you know, five years ago when we bought this house that we're ironically moving out of in about two weeks, my health went south. And so many of the things that you're talking about are are things that I experienced. And you're right, the kind of traditional mindset is to treat the symptom as opposed to looking for the root cause. So was it during your training, you know, your chiropractic training that you became more interested in root cause management or was it really after this, you know, healthcare crisis that you had that really got you much more vested and interested in digging a bit deeper? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I think with my background, I was a structural correction chiropractor. I ended up there because I had injured my neck years before. And someone said, yeah, you have to go to my brother. He's a chiropractor. I said, I don't really go to doctors. I didn't. So when I went to that chiropractor eventually, he said, man, he said, you should be a chiropractor because you have this philosophy. Where did you get this philosophy of like not using drugs? I said, my father, I, you know, he was, my father was an Italian bricklayer in World War II. And for whatever reason, you know, I was raised with the philosophy of, you know, you just don't medicate things, right? You know, you get to the causative factor. I mean, I remember coming home just bloody where, you know, any other parent would have ran them, their child off to the emergency room and got stitches and, you know, my dad bandaged me up every time. And yeah. so I just didn't do that. I was on an antibiotic one time and it was because I chopped this finger off and, you know, they sewed it back together. They put me on antibiotic. After two days, my father came in like, what pills are these? He doesn't need these. He's fine. You know, I mean, that was kind of it. So for whatever reason, I had that philosophy in me. So when I sat there in that chiropractic office that day, and I listened to his lecture. I'm like, well, of course, you know, <laughs> health comes from within. Right? Yeah. You know, remove the interference. The body does the healing. I somehow had that uh, just in my DNA. And so I definitely owe that to my father, but also the chiropractor who told me to go back to school. It was years later that I ended up going back to school. And ironically, that chiropractor, we had a partners that was, was years ago. We're still best friends to this day. But, yeah, so that philosophy came out of, honestly, my father and that story. I love that story. You know, my mom is a second-generation American. My grandfather fought in World War II, and, yeah. you know, they had this amazing garden, and he cooked for hours. And I love the kind of philosophy or the mindset that, you know, we heal from within, you know, nutrition is, was always a huge focus. I like to always share my mother was way ahead of her time. We were eating organ meats before they were fashionable, although my brother and I didn't enjoy them at all. But when we talk about states of healing, what are some of the ways that you work with your patients or you're working with the healthcare professionals that you are coaching and teaching? What are some of the modalities that you like to look at? I know that autophagy is something that we both are profoundly passionate about, but for listeners who may not be as familiar with that strategy or, or what that actually represents, I'd love for you to speak on that. Yeah, look, you know, I mean, getting my own life back, it just fast forward, it ended up to be, I had a lot of mercury that accumulated in my brain, particularly the pituitary hypothalamus, which runs your hormone system. And that explained why my adrenals, my thyroid, my hormones were just, you know, dysregulated. But it explained why I couldn't fix it either because the problem was here. You know, and, and looking back, of course, I had silver fillings in since I was a kid, which 50% mercury, study show, goes right into the brain, not just the brain, but the pituitary, hypothalamus. I also wore contact lenses, 70s, 80s, early 90s. Found out later, they outlawed that unknowingly to most people. The saline had thimerosal in it, which is a mercury derivative, ethyl mercury, which goes right into the brain. So enjoyed that exposure. My father, who I just said I love and adore for his philosophy, part of his healing with my cuts and wounds was methylate. You remember that oh, stuff? Yeah. It was, yeah, it was mercury, man. It was just like, why it works so well. Right. Anyway, you know, I had plenty of exposures, and, you know, plus what I inherited from my mom. She had high blood levels. But so, you know, that became part of what I had to do to get my life back, right? You know, then part of it, too, was my fascination with the innate intelligence, meaning the body has an ability to heal itself. In the 90s, I stumbled upon fasting, and 
I was just fascinated. And remember, this was before I got sick. You know, so again, I just was, you know, fascinated that the body has this intelligence and, you know, I guess raised with that knowledge. Fasting was a harnessing of it, right? It's like when you fast, the body has to tap into this survival mechanism that takes healing you know, to a whole other level. And just, you know, doing some reading, and Herbert Shelton's work and others at the time, you know, realizing that, you know, we do tap in. Uh, to this innate intelligence and you know healing goes to a whole other level this is the most ancient healing therapy modality of you know the history of man and so i became fascinated so i was into fasting when no one was it was me and some natural hygiene society people which we had nothing in common honestly they were mostly vegans vegetarians and fasting and here i am grass-fed meat eater you know, going, man, I love this, right? I would go to the seminars and I'd go to the clinics and, you know, but with this other difference. But that's part of my therapeutic approach that I have today. My cellular detox, which is very unique. My multi-therapeutic approach also has these fasting strategies that I've, you know, taught and learned for years. And, you know, a lot of uh, what I do also is epigenetic. Uh, you know, how do we turn off these genes that get turned on? So putting that all together is what I teach well, I love it. It's a very comprehensive approach. And I want to back up a little bit and talk about, you know, toxins in our environment and how they can adversely impact, uh, you know, the hypothalamus pituitary axis and mm-hmm. our hormones. And so for anyone that's listening, you know, we can actually get fetal transmission of mercury as one example. I never had any mercury amalgams or mercury fillings, but I too, five years ago, when I had uh, one my first healthcare hiccup, one of the things I found out was that I was mercury toxic, and, and it could have been a couple things. I'm sure it was cumulative impact of being homozygous for MTHFR. My mother had many mercury fillings. I had none. You know, being a licensed Western medicine trained healthcare provider, we were given a lot of immunizations on top of that. And so we believe it was the cumulative net impact. And my levels were so high that my functional medicine doctor was about ready to send me to get chelation therapy. And we took a, a different route to address this. You know, he gave me a couple months and I, you know, really focused on some very targeted supplementation and coffee enemas, which is a whole separate topic, but another way that you can support your body with detoxification. But I think it's really important for listeners to understand that we can be getting incremental exposures to these toxins throughout our lifetime. And it could be at some one point, I think middle age seems to be the, my end of one, but a lot of people in middle age and their, you know, late thirties, early forties will suddenly find that it becomes problematic. And mercury in particular is so neurotoxic mm-hmm. and yet we think of it as being so benign. So if you have mercury amalgams, you really want to see a biologic dentist who knows how to properly remove yeah. those fillings. Maybe you can speak on that. You know, what are some of the other ways that we can be exposed to some of these toxins that maybe people are less aware of? I know lead-based paint, but that can be more of an issue in older homes. Obviously, now that's less of an issue in newer homes. But some of the other way we can be exposed to these heavy metals that can be profoundly detrimental. You know, I thought you tapped on it a little bit there, but um, the one that most people aren't thinking about, your mom, mm-hmm. is the number one source of lead toxicity and oftentimes mercury. There's a study called the DRASH study, and they looked at, ladies, the number of fillings that you had and was proportional to how much mercury they found in the baby's brain. Very accurate study because it was autopsy studies, so very tight correlation. Um, lead is, in fact, the number one source is mom. Why? Because 
most lead that we accumulate over our lifetime is stored in our bones. During pregnancy, it's normal to lose bone. It's very normal as a woman, and out comes lead, unfortunately. So that lead ends up in utero, you know, basically directly to the baby, and of course, then the mercury and the lead. So we don't oftentimes think that our bucket, meaning that how much toxins we're exposed to, that finally one day overflows. That was me, right? I, you know, I got filling these out, and it overflowed my bucket, but it was filling all my years. I can even look back and go. Yeah, I would have said I was very healthy. As a matter of fact, the day before my symptoms started, I would have said I was very healthy. Mm-hmm. But yet my bucket was about to overflow, and it did. A day that I went in and got two amalgams removed because there was a crack in a tooth, and he put gold in. I still had probably six amalgams in my mouth, but that event overflowed my bucket. So to your point also, go to a biological dentist and do it safely. Now, here's the thing. You know, in my researching, eventually, I realized this was a problem. It wasn't just me getting out the fillings. Oftentimes, we have a honeymoon period where you feel a little better. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, not. But it only lasts maybe six to nine months. And then you oftentimes get worse. Mm -hmm. Because the mercury vaporized off of those fillings and was trapped in the brain inorganic mercury, which is, it has a half-life much longer than you will live. So there's a very specific way that I teach to get it out of the brain. You don't do it with colon cleanses, liver cleanses, coffee enemas. And I'm not against any of those things. I think they're helpful. But there's a specific way to get mercury out of the brain. There's a specific way to get lead out of the bone, right? And that's what I'm blessed to teach. I wouldn't know any of it unless I actually had to figure it out. By the way, my wife, gosh, I just had her test here. and I, Someone snagged it here, but I wish I would have shown it because it was her lead levels that she got mostly from her mom who ended up with massive hormone dysregulation, breast cancer, standard treatment, survivor, breast cancer survivor, you know, upheld in the statistics. So if you Googled her treatment, you'd go, well, that worked. Well, only 10 years later to get uterine cancer because they, she never got to the upstream cause. And then she ended up dying of that two years later. My wife is heading down the same road only to realize she inherited all that lead, disrupting all of her hormones just like her mom. Well, we went a different route. We got upstream to the cause. But here's my point. All of my biological children, three, had elevated lead levels, which wrecked their gut, which wrecked, I mean, same thing. So we had to go not only detox my wife, but my children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so generational lead, they say four generations will inherit the lead of their mother, right? Well, I'll say epigenetically, meaning toxic mom will turn genes on for four generations. So what you have to look at where you are today, yes, your bucket is filled, but also certain genes got triggered. You have to deal with both. And you know, Cindy, I, th- this is probably the best explanation I can give for people like, why did I get sick? Why am I not feeling well despite changing my diet and all these things? But if you think of a three-legged stool as an analogy, you know the analogy, meaning all three legs have to be there for the stool to actually stand up, right? I'm probably going to need another pen because it'll run out. So this is an answer to why we get sick, but in it also is the solution Mm -hmm. to how we get well. The first leg, if you will, if there's a first, is DNA. So if you write DNA in that leg, that's our genes. Yes, we have weaknesses from our moms and our dads, but your DNA is not your destiny. New science shows these genes get turned on. And the greatest news of all is we can turn them off. That's the best part. I mean, it's, I love teaching that because when we turn off a gene, 
you know, all of a sudden it's like my thyroid condition went away, right? Well, some of those genes were turned off. We can turn them on. But if this leg is just as important because it's the stressors that turned it on in the first place. If we don't remove those, we're never going to turn off the gene. So think of these stressors, though. Think of your life, physical, chemical, or emotional. That's the stressors that fill your bucket to one day it overflows. So my bucket overflowed, triggered a gene. That's why my thyroid wasn't functioning well, my adrenals, I mean, it can go down the list, right? So my cellular detox deals with these cellular stressors that trigger the gene. So if we apply technology here, apply the right detox at the cellular level here, then it leaves this leg. What is that one? Well, that leg is the gut. So we know that certain bacteria, actually yogurt companies have taught us this, you know, 70% of our immune system is here, right? But, you know, let me give you a, a direct understanding of that. There's certain bacteria when in too low in numbers, we literally do not make certain immune cells. Right, And those immune cells are called T-regulatory cells. Those are immune cells that tell your immune system it's okay. You know, that pollen is not going to kill you. Back off. Okay? Or it doesn't give that message and you have this upregulated allergy or a food sensitivity. You know, that protein that you just, you know, crossed over your gut, it's not going to kill you. Well, T-regulatory cells are what calm that immune system down but we need specific bacteria to do that. So the point is this. We have so much insult into the gut via toxins. We have toxins filling our bucket, and we have genes that get turned on. So ultimately, all three of those have to be addressed, and that's the multi-therapeutic approach that I teach. And by the way, the gut, you're not going to fix a gut problem today with giving people probiotics. I wish it were so simple. I'm not against probiotics by any means, but... It is the fasting strategies that I teach that really come into play here. You know, so here's my cellular detox. Here's fasting strategies. Why would fasting affect the gut? Because it's a stress on the microbiome. Just like you would exercise to stress your muscle and become better in shape, that's how we create a diverse microbiome. We have to stress it just like our ancestors did. They went through times of feast and famine. Stressing the microbiome creates a more diverse microbiome and therefore a better immune system. And by the way, studies show that when you improve this, then you also can turn off genes. So you see, all of these legs apply to one another, right? So we can't turn off the genes without getting rid of the stressors, without changing our microbiome. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believe that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high-quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bioptimizers. Masszymes is a full-spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. 
product with five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia 10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia 10 for 10% off any order. I've been using MitaPure for the last two years, and I've added this to my routine for multiple reasons. Number one, it's a foundational supplement for me and my family. It keeps things simple, and I know that I cannot get enough of urolithin A in my food to derive the same benefits. And if you're not familiarized with urolithin A, it's a signaling molecule, but it's also actively involved in anti-aging, energy production. And I take Timeline because of its remote remarkable healthy aging solution that activates key critical cellular pathways in my body. It's a total game changer for healthy aging. I alternate between using the soft gels and powder depending on whether or not I'm traveling. And we know that restoring cellular energy is a key to enduring health. And this is concluded in a recent publication in Nature Metabolism, which is a top scientific journal identifying that newly energized cells may provide many more years of healthy life to people. Yet as we age, we know that cellular energy production naturally declines and reduces our prospects of optimal health and longevity. That's the great thing about Timeline is you can restore cellular energy and support healthy aging. I've noticed the biggest improvements in my energy and sleep levels. We know that Timeline is clinically shown to give our cellular energy generators, the mitochondria, new power. And when taken daily, it replaces aging mitochondria. So it upregulates mitophagy and rebuilds new ones or mitogenesis. Timeline is the only nutrient that can do what it does. So Timeline renews your cells to a more powerful state. My listeners can get 10% off your first order at timeline.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off at timeline.com dot com slash Cynthia. I know you're going to love this product. And by the way, my five R's became a roadmap of what I teach doctors on how to change that genetic expression. I think it's really important for listeners to understand that it's all interrelated. It's not as if yeah. one exists by itself. Right. You know, when we talk about hormetic stressors, these are beneficial stressors. It could be fasting. It could be high-intensity interval training. It can be cold therapy. You know, cryotherapy is really popular right now. And I love that you were ahead of the curve. We know that fasting is not new or novel, but I would say in the last five to 10 years, it started to gain some popularity, I think largely because people are tired of potions and powders and quick, you know, get quick, you know, results kind of gimmicks that are out there. And I almost feel like our weight loss industry has really driven this home that people expect to lose 10 pounds immediately. They expect to be back in the size that they were when they were 18 years old. And most of those kind of philosophies are not sustainable, whereas intermittent fasting obviously is. And I know that you're a huge proponent of that. So 
Let's kind of walk through some of the, the strategies you like to use, you know, with fasting in your own patient population. I know that I get a lot of questions about, is it different for men? Is it different for women? I think that the starting philosophies are about the same. I'm sure you probably agree, but obviously there are gender differences that we have to kind of be sensitive to as well. Yeah, I mean, I, there are different strategies um, for women versus men. Uh, women, I believe, need more diversity, mm-hmm. something I call diet variation. So women seem to do better clinically mm-hmm. with feast more feast days, whereas if they're low-carb too long, their body thinks it's starving faster than a man's will, and that's eventually happening to a man as well. And then it slows down fat metabolism, even turning it off, and then you'll even start tapping into muscles, so then you end up with skinny fat problems. <laughs> you end up with other hormonal problems. So what I mean by feast days is taking one, two, or three days a week and literally eating high carb amongst your lower carb days. You know, I interviewed Kristen Verde, and, and she was a scientist who talks about that, and she compared all the different diets in weight loss. And a diet with the most variation worked the best, meaning literally every other day they would do a regular standard American diet, not even a healthy diet, 500, 800 calories, standard American diet, 500, 800 calories. So it was feast, famine, feast, famine. It worked better than low-fat, high-fat, whatever you threw at it. And I asked her why, and she said, because it forces the body to adapt. It's forcing adaptation. Well, how does it do that? Well, the adaptation, absolutely the microbiome adjustment is part of that adaptation, but also the hormone optimization is part of that adaptation. No different than exercise, or you mentioned cold. Mm -hmm. When you go into a cold and your body thinks it's going to die in three minutes, it upregulates norepinephrine, which upregulates growth hormones, upregulates healing, downregulates inflammation, all to survive. And then you're left in this state, right? Oh, okay, we didn't die, but now we're hormonally optimized. (laughs) So, you know, that's what happens when we, you know, do this feast famine. Right? It's like a day of not eating, a day of eating. You know, mm-hmm. the body has to adapt, and the hormone optimization is part of it. Fasting is no different. I mean, whether you do one day of fasting, eight hours, I mean, 12 hours, 15, 18 hours mm-hmm. of fasting, the body is hormonally optimizing to that. Or we can stress it even further. And that's one of the things my book talks about is how to add in five day fasting, whether it's one a year, four a year, every other month. I mean, depending on your condition, I would say, arguably how much stress do we need, you know, to really get your cells to become better, more hormonally optimized. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, all of those strategies is something that I teach. And to answer your question, though, women need more of this variation than men. Feast and famine works better for them, but men, it works for us too. And part of my diet variation strategy that I teach is also monthly. So ladies, we learn this clinically and teaching a lot of doctors, you can learn a lot oftentimes more than what you learn from the scientific literature. Five days a month is magic of high carbs, especially if you're eating low carbs. Well, I'll be even more specific. The five days right before your cycle seems to be the most magic of all, where it changes you hormonally for the whole rest of the month. Why? Because right before your cycle, you have all these hormone conversions that are taking place, one of which you need for that is high insulin. Insulin is needed for hormone conversion, estrogen, thyroid hormone. And so when we throw higher carbs, we elevate insulin, and we actually help with hormone conversion, and that seems to help women for the rest of the month. So we can do one or two days a week of higher carb. We can do five days a month. But don't forget, that's the feast. 
The famine is also important. You could do five days a month in a partial fast. We decrease calories just for five days, you know, below a thousand. So you throw the feast and the famine weekly, monthly. I'm telling you, hormonally, magic happens. <laughs> well, I have to give you the appropriate amount of credit. Last summer at Mindshare, I was given your book by one of your colleagues, read it cover to cover, reached out to you on social media, and said, I've been doing low-carb intermittent fasting for years. This is where I am. And the first thing you said to me was, you probably need mm. some higher-carb days. And, you know, my N of one, because I'm all about, I'm like, you know what, I'm always a lifelong learner and, you know, I always give credit for strategies that I've learned through other healthcare providers. And I'm happy to say that your strategy was effective for myself and many, many of my own patients. And so I thank you for that. Yeah. But I, I do think, you know, honoring our hormones as women because they are not the same day to day, week to week. And the analogy that I like to give women in particular is just like you would not do the same exercise program every single day or eat the same foods every single day. Our bodies thrive on variety, and I'm so glad that you're talking about this because I think sometimes people want to do, for example, 16-8 every day for the rest of their lives. And I always say, you know, it's not that that would be harmful, but your body will adapt. And we want yeah. to we want to create a little bit of, as you say, adaptation, a little bit of stressor so that our body has to kind of, you know, take a couple extra steps and catch itself back up and say, okay, this is a new stressor. I need to adapt to this. And then tomorrow we're going to do something different. I think for many of us, you know, if someone obviously has 15, 20, 30, 40 pounds to lose, they probably are going to do, need to be more mindful of the quality of carbohydrates they're consuming. Oh, absolutely. You know, unfortunately, there's still this mindset that things like gluten and if people do or don't tolerate grains, having to explain to people that sometimes what worked for us at 18 may not work for us at 25. And I'm sure you probably, you know, would agree when we're looking at things like weight loss plateaus, which I'm sure you get lots of questions about this. In fact, one of your participants reached out and said, I'm working with Dr. Pompa, and I'm just curious to know what you think about X, Y, and Z. This is a, a woman, I'm guessing probably middle-aged, in a weight loss plateau. And so are there other strategies other than you know, the feast versus famine? Are there other strategies that you're using with these women? Because these are the questions that I get asked mm -hmm. quite often. I think our listeners like to hear the answers and responses from someone other than myself on occasion. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, the detox is important, right, mm -hmm. done at the cellular level. Because remember, when we look at why people hit plateaus, it's hormones, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when we look at why people can't lose weight, oftentimes the people who can't lose weight, eat better than their friends, their family, right? And they can't understand. They exercise more. Well, I mean, that's clearly a hormone resistance that's happening mm -hmm. at the cellular level, whether it's insulin, whether it's leptin, whether it's, I mean, you can name it, I mean, testosterone, estrogen, mm -hmm. all of these hormones, they all have to communicate to, their, to yourself, right? So, again, if I continue to draw my little circles here, you know, if that's a cell, on every cell of your body, these hormone receptors are, you know, are there, right? And those hormone receptors are, you know, this is where your hormone has to dock. So thyroid hormone, insulin, estrogen. I mean, again, we can name many that are involved in the ability to lose weight or not. Your blood levels out here could be spot on. They could be spot on just because they are. Or they can be spot on because you're taking medication to make them better, right? Either way, it doesn't matter if the blood levels are normal. If this hormone, thyroid hormone, can't get its message into the cell, you don't burn fat normally in your mitochondria. Therefore, when you're not eating, you're not burning your own fat efficiently. 
So therefore, you're either burning muscle or you're getting cravings. I mean, one or the other, but if you fight off the craving, right, because you're very disciplined, then your body, through a process called gluconeogenesis, will break muscle down. It'll figure a way to get sugar and not burn fat in the mitochondria because hormonally it can't. You see, so weight loss resistance is, in fact, a hormone problem. Now, again, we talked about feast, famine, cycling as a way to stress the cell and, you know, to make it stronger, like exercise makes us stronger. But also we have to deal with the number one cause of what would be causing interference for your hormones not to hear, be heard by yourself. And that is, in fact, good old inflammation. Inflammation will block the receptor to the hormone or the hormone's ability to get its message in the cell. Well, you have to ask what's causing the inflammation. Well, of course, standard American diet, increased glucose, bad fats, right? Those things will cause inflammation of the cell membrane and block hormone receptors, but toxins is the number one cause. So when I talk about cellular detox, I'm talking about the toxins that make their way in and around the cell, causing inflammation, driving cellular dysfunction, the cell's inability to hear hormones, therefore the inability to burn fat when you're not eating, burn fat efficiently. So I don't care what you eat. I don't care how much you exercise. If you don't deal with that cause, then you're not going to feel well. You're not going to be lean, you know, in your 50s, 60s, you know, what you should be. You know, so hormone resistance, Cynthia, this is a massive epidemic because the amount of exposure to toxins. Now, don't be fooled. It's, we have cleaner air outside than ever before. So people make that argument. I hear that argument. But where we're getting these toxins is hidden oftentimes, right? We talked a little bit about the fillings, you know, and other sources there. Moldy homes, the way we build homes today. I can't tell you how many people are weight loss resistant because they're in a moldy environment, don't even know it, whether it's their work or their home, right? Or hidden infections, root canals, where you had wisdom teeth out, heals over and causes a cavitation. You have no pain there, but there's an infection that's driving this whole hormone cascade, cellular inflammation throughout your body, and you're deaf to your hormones. So oftentimes when I'm working with somebody or when I'm training doctors, I'm saying, look, we have to go upstream. Functional medicine now has fell into the same trap allopathic medicine has, meaning that we run a lot of expensive tests. And that dog agrees with me in the sense that we have a problem here. You know, but the fact is, is that on both sides, we're chasing symptoms with either drugs or medication. How many practitioners are truly looking upstream to the cause of what's causing cellular inflammation and therefore hormone deafness <laughs> or resistance, you know, and ultimately it's why you don't feel well. You have to get to the cause. I think it's really important for anyone who's listening. I know it's frustrating and it can be, I mean, I have patients that come to me that are on 30 supplements that were prescribed by, you know, someone well-meaning who's trying to look to support the pathways that are perhaps not, you know, properly open. And so when we're talking about detoxification, we know predominantly that occurs in the liver, but we also, through sweat and pooping and peeing and breathing, we will detoxify. But you're specifically, and I'm assuming you're specifically identifying the liver, there are a couple phases of detoxification. And the product that you're referring to, are you talking about opening up the pathways so that they can actually start processing some of the toxins they're exposed to in their environment, personal care products or foods? 
You know, my five R's, I was lecturing to doctors, I think it was in California at this that time, and this was years ago, and I left there very frustrated because I was talking about the cellular pathways mm-hmm. that are just being hit hard in today's, you know, neurotoxic environment. And I can tell it fell on deaf ears. I'm, I've been lecturing for years, and I know when I have my audience's attention or not, or when it resonates, and it didn't resonate, so I was frustrated with myself. And I was literally, I prayed, you know, I know this is so important. You know, God showed me this through my own battle. And I was sitting there and all of a sudden ideas started flowing. I picked up my pad and I started jotting them down. That was birthed what I call my five R's of cellular healing and cellular detox. R number one is you have to look at these upstream sources and remove them. Okay, so we don't even need to talk about that. We have been. R number two is regenerating the cell membrane. I already made the argument of how important this cell membrane is. But look, yes, every hormone receptor resides there. But also the membrane is what determines what comes in the cell for health and healing. And also the toxins that have to come out. Because when you make energy when you burn fat or sugar in your mitochondria, you make a waste, right? Just like if you burn wood in your fireplace, you make smoke. And if your damper's open, all good. If it's not, you could die, right? So when we make energy, we make waste. Our cell has to get rid of it. So think of that membrane as a damper, you know, allowing the good in, the bad in, the bad out. That is the heart of detox. Oh, if you've read any of Bruce Lipton's work, The Biology of Belief, he talked about the cell membrane in these hormone receptors Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data 
and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12 month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Is the key to turning off bad genes. That's it. That's the key, he said. That's where the life is in your entire body, the intelligence, I'm sorry, and the life. I believe life begins and ends on this membrane. So my R2 is you have to regenerate. That's a big part of what I teach. You won't detox a cell or yourself without fixing that, not just that membrane, but even these inner membranes in your mitochondria. Very important. I do lectures on this. The third R is restoring the cell energy. None of the cellular detox pathways work to get rid of that smoke or toxins if you don't upregulate that cell energy, the gasoline of the cell, which is ATP. R4 is reducing inflammation. I already made that argument with the hormones. And R5 is reestablishing methylation. Methylation's in vogue right now because of the SNPs and the genes. But I would argue SNPs and genes really aren't the problem with so many people who are methyl depleted. And just so you understand, you can't even get rid of toxic hormones without a certain level of methylation or methyl donors. You can't adapt to stress. So all stress, physical, chemical, or emotional, depletes methylation. So, so many people have a methylation-depleted issue, and therefore, the cells become toxic. So that's the fifth R. So teaching doctors how to upregulate the cell, that's true detox. You don't get well unless you fix that cell, right, in those pathways. So it caught on beyond the doctors where the public was like, I get that. That makes sense to me. I've done all the saunas. I've done all the colon cleanses, this cleanse, that cleanse, but you are not going to get well until you detox that cell. And those five R's became that roadmap that I teach. And, you know, it really, now that doesn't mean you don't open up because part of my system that I teach is keeping those downstream pathways open, right? You have to keep the gut open, the liver, the kidneys, the liver. If you don't keep that open, but you make a mistake if you don't get the cell fixed. So you have to do all that simultaneously. And that's what I call true cellular detox. And that's a really important distinction. You know, we can sweat all we want. You know, you mentioned you can urinate, defecate, breathe. And yes, all those things are really valuable, but you bring home a really good point that if at the cellular level things aren't working appropriately, all those other things are are not going to work as efficiently. I think what I oftentimes 
I'm surprised by it, just as one example is how many people think it's normal not to have a, a bowel movement every day and they're trying to explain to them that you're just recirculating all those toxins that your body needs to get rid of. So when people really need to detox, and obviously you walk your patients as well as your providers through this process, what are some of the signs beyond weight loss resistance? What are some of the other signs? I know you kind of touched on these at the beginning, some of the signs that you experienced, obviously some of the signs I could tell people as well that I've experienced, but what are the more common things that you see? Yeah, I mean, let's start with where it started with me and so many, low energy, right? All of a sudden it was like I found myself just wiped out by the afternoon. And again, we justify it. Oh, I'm working so hard. Oh, I have this. Oh, I didn't sleep like well. You know, I mean, we always have a reason. And then, of course, then we mitigate that with what? Coffee, caffeine, right? You know, we start down that road, you know, realizing that this is the start of the problem. Well, then here comes the brain fog. Ah, it's normal, though, because I'm aging, right? You know, it's like, oh, I'm getting older. I can't remember. No, it's not normal at all, right? It's part of this neurotoxic issue. You know, then from brain fog, then it starts with the anxiety. Like, gosh, what is that, right? I don't feel, I don't feel, you know, like I should. You know, then it can just be, I just don't feel like myself. You can't even put a finger on it. Then it's like, I don't sleep. I can't either get to sleep or I wake up and can't get back to sleep. Or when I do sleep, I feel like I didn't, right? So, you know, which is a problem with Delta sleep. But the point is, is that's where it starts. Oh, and then it'll end up with the food intolerances. You know, I got this going on. That's what I ate, right? I did that game too. It's, I must be having a problem with this food, that food, this food, right? So then we start that, you know, down that road. And, you know, then we look at, again, then I went down the, oh, it must be my adrenals. And practitioners will tell you that. Oh, you're just adrenally fried. Okay, I supported my adrenals. Might have helped a little bit, but what was upstream from wiping out my adrenals? My neurotoxic issue. Oh, then my thyroid, which again, unfortunately, my blood work was normal with my thyroid, even though my hair was literally filling my drain. All right, it's like I was getting skinny fat, but yet it may have taken another five or ten years before my blood work would have been off. And then, of course, that it just gave me T4 hormone, right? Not getting my hormone into the cell anyway. That was the problem. That's why my blood work looked normal. I had plenty of thyroid hormone, but it wasn't getting in because my cells were an inflamed disaster. So, I mean, when you look at those just set of symptoms right there, that's where it starts, and then it just escalates. And unfortunately, I think for many people, they hit a certain age, whether that's 40, 45, 50, 55, 60, and the limiting beliefs that set in that people say, well, I'm this age now, and I'm supposed to, you know, I'm going to gain weight, and my sleep's going to be terrible and I'm going to be really tired, and I'm going to have no energy. And so I think that you speak to many, many people mm-hmm. that maybe perhaps have chalked up their symptoms to being just a function of age, when in essence our bodies are really designed to thrive throughout our lifetime. It isn't meant to you know, hit a cliff at like whatever age is, arbitrarily 40. And I see so many women who really struggle with this. They just kind of get into their 40s and they're lost. Oh. Like I've never felt worse. Or, you know, their husband's saying, I suddenly get, you know, menopause, you know, they get this menopause, well, you know, the andropause belly, all these things as their hormones are dysregulated and not properly optimized. They feel miserable. I was in the friend of mine's waiting room and it was a conversation with three women. And I'm there, you know, just waiting for him to be done, right? And he's a physician. And I'm listening to this conversation and the conversation, I ended up having to jump in, and I just couldn't help myself. And the conversation just went something like this. They started going through their symptoms, which I just did, right? And basically, it was the consensus was, well, look, I mean, all of us have this, 
So that's normal, right? So they just chalked it up as normal aging to your point, right? It was like, okay, that's normal because every them and everyone they know has it. And I said, ladies, I have to jump in here. I said, you're right. It's very common, but let me explain. It's not normal, right? And, you know, of course, you know, I, they probably didn't even welcome my invite there, but I just couldn't help because that's what I hear and see. You know, I, look, I'm 55. It's like I'm healthier today than I was in my 30s for sure, maybe my 20s. But, you know, I mean, it doesn't, just because it's common, it doesn't make it normal. You know, in today, this cellular inflammation issue is, you know, gosh, it's so common, you know, but it's sad. You know, because we don't have to live our life like that. You know, I I think that's always my goal and yours, you know, is to wake people up. You know, yes, diet's a part of it. But one of my sayings today is that even the perfect diet won't get you well today. It's beyond diet, right? Maybe that's the name of my next book because beyond fasting was the name of my last one. So maybe it's beyond diet, right? (laughs) Meaning it's something way, way more today to actually get well. You know, it, it is, in fact, a cellular issue. Yeah, and it's complicated, meaning it isn't as straightforward as I just have to change my diet and then that will fix everything, or I just need to run the perfect mile, or I just have to lift every day and that's going to fix it. It's so much more than that. And so as we kind of, you know, tailor down our conversation because I want to be mindful of your time, I'd love to get your take on carbohydrates. And the reason why is that I think carbs in many ways are demonized. I always say high-quality carbs are differentiated from the crappy carbs, and the crappy carbs are the things that are going to spike insulin or not Mm -hmm. be beneficial. What is your take on carbohydrates as a rule? You know, my kind of philosophy lately has been to say, you know, if you're carb-sensitive, that's one thing. Most people carbohydrates sensitive and so they have trouble processing carbohydrates they're already their glycogen stores are overwhelming their triglycerides are high and so and they struggle with weight loss so what is your philosophy on carbohydrates are they good are they bad that's a great question you know i think ancient cultures answer that for us right because people have a lot of opinions including mine what is that worth however you can take any ancient culture ever around the world Oh, if they had carbs, they ate them. <laughs> so, I mean, the moment they had carbs, they ate them, right? And I've been to some really you know, remote parts of Africa, and I promise you they unknowingly practiced feast, famine, cycling. Mm-hmm. You know, but if they had carbs, boy, they absolutely ate them. So, meaning that what is our opinion? That carbs are an important part of the human diet. They're an important part of, you know, what our bodies are equipped to use as an energy source. You know, I think the greater danger is getting caught in one camp or the other, right? So, you know, you said something. In in our little sphere of followers, you're right on what you said. You know, carbs have a bad name because right now keto is very in vogue and paleo, right? But years ago, not that many years ago, it was the opposite, fat. Well, and then, if, again, let's now go into mainstream where fat still has the bad name and carbs still have a good name, right? So, you know, it depends on who we're addressing is what actually has the bad name. So the point is this. It's not one versus the other. You know, I argue my diet variation philosophy also goes seasonally. So as we like to put ourselves in, I'm a vegan, I'm a vegetarian, paleo, keto, I argue they're all great. Too long in any of those diets, I believe, starts to cause problems. It starts to cause monoculturing in the microbiome, it affects you negatively. When I lecture, I put up some studies showing that, that when we don't change our diet, we actually start to create health problems. So how do we get in the camp 
of vegan, vegetarian, paleo, keto, because we changed our diet at one point and it helped us. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I'm all in. And But here we are now a year or two years later realizing that, oh my gosh, the best thing for you is to leave your vegan diet and start eating some good grass-fed meat. Or the opposite. You know, maybe you start, you've been keto for so long. Go to a plant healthy, plant-based, higher carbohydrate diet. Watch the magic happen because here's what happens. Your microbiome, we've learned one thing that holds true with all the microbiome, all the new testing that's in vogue, right? We thought we were going to be able to take that test and be able to take these bacteria. We're going to kill these. It didn't work out that way. But what worked out was, wow, healthy people have this diversity. Unhealthy people don't. Okay, that worked out. So the question is, is how do we create a healthy diversity of bugs? Okay, it's not taking them. It's stressing them. And so one of the ways is changing the diet. So when you go from this diet, like an ancient tribe would, of like just hard keto all winter long, and now fruits and berries you have access to and you just partake, which you would, right? You would, and you uh, would do so delightfully. All of a sudden, your microbiome has to shift. Now, all of a sudden, it's triggering the production of these bacteria. These bacteria thrive, and these bacteria, you know, and now you've changed it. And then here comes fall again, and the dietary shift is coming again. You still have a lot of these bacteria, but now you're starting to eat different foods and creating different bacteria. Eventually, you create this massive diversity, which we know is the only thing that we've learned in the microbiome, the key to health. So diet shifts creates diversity. So my thing is get out of the camp you're in. You know, shift your diet. There's no bad carbs, you know, protein. They're all good. High fat, low fat, high carb. Now, granted, you know, white bread, is it bad for everybody? Yeah. You know, or, you know, processed oils, vegetable oils, canola, bad for everyone? Yes. But diet shifts. We can eat healthy carbs, healthy fats, and all these things and make those shifts. Watch what happens to your health. I love the message. It's fantastic. And I'm so grateful to have had you speaking with our listeners today. The big takeaway is variety. Our bodies need it, whether we're fasting, whether it's our nutritional focus. I love that you are not stuck in one dogma. You know, sometimes we bring speakers on and uh, individuals on, and they're very rigid about their nutritional philosophies. And the one thing I've come to find out, you know, trust your N of one. If it works well for you, keep doing it. Listen to what your body is trying to tell you. How can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you on social media or off of your website, look at your programs? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, my Facebook probably now. I mean, I can sort of give you my website too, but my Facebook, my fan page is dr, like doctor, dr. Daniel Papa, my name. So dr. Daniel Papa. That'll bring you to my fan page. I do videos there weekly. My website too, which is just drpapa.com. So that's drpapa.com. So either one will bring you to a lot of the info. I just want to leave with this. You know, years ago, I was lecturing on keto. No one knew what it was, right? Some people may have heard of it, right? No one knew what it was. The next, you know, slide after I did a lecture on it, I said, I want to make a prediction. And I still have the picture of that slide today. I said, this is going to come in vogue. I think it's the next thing. I said, but it will go out of vogue. And I think I, you know, gave it a certain amount of period, you know, eight or 10 years and where did I get those numbers from? Just looking at every diet that's come in and out of vote, right? You know, so I was like, well, it'll probably follow that same pattern, you know, and that's exactly what we're seeing. So it's yeah, coming in and out of vote, right? Absolutely. And I think, it, you know, ultimately it comes down to what helps you have plenty of energy, keeps your weight stable, allows you to sleep, 
have high quality relationships and find out what's really working for you. You know, trust your end of one. It's really important. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah, you guys for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review. Subscribe and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Oh, 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 oh,